we are back with another episode of the Scared Stiff Horror Podcast. I am your host, Doug Plumatel, writer and director of the upcoming horror film Halloween Candy. And we are joined once again by the uncomparable Dalen Lane. Welcome back, Dalen. Hello, hello. Sorry for my quite schnozzoli voice. I'm a little bit under the weather, but uh, this is what we're working with, guys. Dude, this sounds monumentally better than last week. It sounded like last week you sound like you're on 10 packs a day. Yeah. So. <laughs> last week I had zero voice. It was really intense, super sexy, uh, and quite painful. So this is, yeah, an improvement. Although I do like my raspy voice, so I kind of wish this was the full-time voice, but you know, can't always get what you want. That's cool. It's got character. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Next week we'll get back to boring Dalen voice. Don't you dare. Uh, I kid, I kid. <laughs> Any voice you have is welcome here. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so we have an exciting announcement. Usually podcasts, they hold the announcements to the end of the show. But we're going to start off strong because we believe in our audience. If you made it this far, you will listen to the end. So why not give you our, our big news right from the start? So our friend Dalen here has been upgraded. She is now the official co-host of the Scare Stiff Horror Podcast. Ow, ow! Get ready to be so annoyed. <laughs> I am so excited to have you back as a, a permanent co-host. You've, you've been on enough that it, it was time to make it official. I am so honored and so pleased and happy to be a part of the Scare Stiff family and be welcomed here. So I'm very excited to extend my time further. You are more than welcome. So I am so happy to have you. Thanks. Yeah. So any good horror movies you've been watching? Um, I mean, I just watched the Marvels. Maybe that's like a horror movie in itself. Uh, what else did I watch? You know what? I th I've been kind of catching up on some true crime recently. I've been having a hard time, like really narrowing down a good horror film to watch. There's one though that I've been looking for, Onibaba, which is a very famous Japanese horror film that I've never seen. And I, to this day, I've, I've looked for it for years and I still cannot find it. So if anyone out there knows where I can watch this film for real, um, I would love to know. Please send that in. Please email us because I'm struggling. What about you? Yeah, no, I've been pretty busy. So as of recording, it is February 12th and I've watched so far 80, 86 films this year already <laughs> wow uh i i thought you meant busy with life so clearly we're on, we're at different priorities <laughs> yeah I, I knock out about two a day and i've been lately i've been watching documentaries and 70s movies hell yeah oh by the way uh, just a quick moment r.i.p carl weathers oh lost a good one i know mm. i'm so happy that they um you know they put a graphic up for him in that commercial he was in during the super bowl yeah. When he passed, we definitely rewatched Happy Gilmore. So I've been rewatching certain things with him in it actually recently because I'm really not over it. But, you know. Yeah, I won't hear that Karen Carpenter song the same way. Never. That scene hits different now in Happy Gilmore. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. So a quick shout out to uh, a member of the Scared Stiff family and, um, and also an actress in Halloween Candies. Shino Nakamichi, she was in a Netflix film. 
she, yeah, she she played um a character in Orion in the Dark. She was like the love interest of the the main character. Aw, our our little girls growing up. She was so yeah. petite and cute and sweet on set, and she was really wonderful too. So congrats, that's amazing. I'm so happy for her. It's so good when good things come to good people. It's just so good when good people find success, and I'm so happy for Shino. Yeah. Oh, congrats. You know, that rules. Yeah. Huge, massive congrats. Yeah. Can't wait to see what she does in the future. Yeah. And come join us on the podcast, you know. You're always welcome. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So we have a, a, a fun guest here today. Now, Dylan, as you, your first duty, why don't you tell us about our guest? So I'm so pleased to announce our guest today. He, first off, is amazing. He is a professional tattoo artist, a professional painter, also a musician. He's a renaissance, a renaissance man, but he actually is amazing in all the things that he does. He is a personal friend who I'm lucky to have in my life. Please welcome to the show, Corey Schoolage. Corey, welcome to the Scarcity Horror Podcast. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you are our first tattoo artist on the show. Wow, excellent, excellent. I'm honored I'm honored to be that for you. Nice. Yeah. And a, a, a diehard horror fan, from what I hear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ever since uh, I was able to pop a VHS into the VHS player back in the Stone Age, yeah, horror's been one of my favorite genres. And uh, yeah, just like super inspiring, super fun, um, imagination grooming kind of stuff as a young man. Do you remember what your first horror film, what your introduction to the horror genre was? So I was really thinking about this. Um, I want to say it was probably Hellraiser 2. And I would have been in like maybe second or third grade, however old you are at that point. I think it was Hellraiser 2. 1988. Yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah, so I saw that, like, my father used to let us watch movies that were very inappropriate. Like, when my mother went to sleep, he'd be like, okay, what R-rated movie do you want to watch tonight? And he had, didn't have Hellraiser 1, but he had Hellraiser 2. And uh, he's like, oh, you guys are going to like this. It's really crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it was. was, What what an introduction there. Those movies, even today, those movies are really graphic, especially for the 80s. But they, they still hold up pretty well as far as the violence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The violence, like the imagery, like skinless Julia, um, the Cenobites, like everything about it is just so surreal and bugged out. And like it, it has like such a vibe to it, you know. So, yeah, that, that was like a huge, huge first step for me. How do you feel that being immersed at such a young age has really contributed to some of the artwork that you've worked on through the years? Oh, big time, big time. Like, so horror movies, uh, early Cannibal Corpse album artwork, and um, just early like VHS artwork from back in the days of the VHS rental stores that are, you know, long gone. You would just see the the wall or the section of horror movies and it was just like, what is this? This is crazy. And like the description on the back was cool, but the artwork was like really what would grab me. And, um, yeah, like a lot of those still, like I can remember super vividly this many years later, just, uh, amazing. And then like, you want to, you want to draw things at that level. I want to draw things at that level and just being young, you can't. (laughs) And so you have to really like observe, okay, like how did they do this? This is crazy. Like 
the the understanding of anatomy and just scale perspective all those things like a lot of that art is super high level and uh yeah it really made me want to improve my uh drawing game and just art game in general is there a particular vhs cover from back in the day that that still to this day really resonates with you that's really stuck out over the years yeah absolutely the original nightmare on elm street uh, i don't know if there's different different like editions now but the one that i knew was it was like I don't know, maybe like watercolor painting, but it's Nancy in bed and like the glove is coming over her head and you see like a weird kind of skull face. I feel like whoever did the art for that maybe got a description of what the movie was about, had a picture of Heather Langenkamp, but like maybe didn't really know fully the whole plot or anything because the hand is like bone and muscle and like the blades are attached to it. Like So, and I love, I love, that kind of artwork where it's like, okay, this artist got it a description, maybe was told the name of what it is, but doesn't fully know uh, the plot. But yeah, that, that one sticks with me and it's so awesome still to this day. Like I'll look at it uh, semi-regularly and just like, it blows my mind. Have you ever seen any of the cover art for a lot of the horror films from India? No. Oh my gosh. I tell you <laughs> like the the cover art for Halloween, it's like Michael Myers with a machine gun. It's it's the most awesome. amazing stuff. You got to look it up. It's quite the bizarre world. That's great. Like my uh, my drummer and friend Anne, she got me this um, VHS video cover art uh, coffee table book a while ago. There may be some of that in there, but I'm definitely going to look up that that India Michael Myers one for sure. Yeah, that was <laughs> later. There, there. He never even has a gun. <laughs> so that's so strange. No, yeah. that's awesome, though. I need to find a shirt with that. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, like, once those become more popular, I, you're going to see them around. Like like you just sure. said, people are going to wear them as T-shirts, like a, a great talking point, a <laughs> great conversation <Yeah>. piece. <laughs> so good. Yeah. <laughs> so there seems to be a lot of crossover with tattoo culture in the horror genre. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, most tattooers that I know, I mean, they'll have, at the very least, like, pretty deep knowledge of different horror films and then others will have just like insane collections of DVDs. Um, you know, some of them have like VHS collections still at this point. And yeah, it, it's like a very hand in hand kind of thing. Who do you find is the most popular character that we've tattooed? Um, I mean, you know, it's funny. I don't get to do as many horror tattoos as I would like to do, but I would say, that I've seen tattooed, probably Michael Myers, probably. Although I will say it's not like a, uh, oh, it's definitely this or definitely that. Cause you see a lot of horror tattoos and it's really impressive. The, the things that people bust out like obscure characters. I've seen chop top tattoos from, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty varied at this point. Yeah. People cool. wear them like a badge of honor, but you see them at horror conventions or not, not even at horror conventions, but you see somebody with the Freddy tattoo. It's an instant conversation starter because you know, they know, you know, yeah, you know, you have yeah. that connection. Yeah. It's cool. It, it's very comforting. Yeah. And then like in the early days, you would see uh, some of the early tattooers doing horror portraits. You would see like a pinhead portrait and it was like, dude, what is that? Like you couldn't believe it was, was possible, you know? And now it's, it's crazy how the level of art has really just gone overboard. 
there's like multiple tattooers that can do just mind-blowing like color portraits, black and gray portraits. You see a lot of the traditional Americana horror themed tattoos now and it's it's a whole like genre with subgenres at this point. It's cool. Yeah, pinhead seems like it'd be a challenge. A lot of line work. You got like the cross hatching and then you have all the little pins. That must be a quite a challenging tattoo. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very technical. That I've not got to do yet, but I'm like kind of want to do it, kind of scared to have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. What is your specialty? What style is your specialty in tattooing? Um, I'm pretty well-rounded, but the things I like to do the most, I really like doing um, like neo-traditional neo Japanese stuff, kind of like psychedelic Japanese-inspired designs. I like doing photorealism and um, yeah, like kind of like bugged out neo-traditional Americana too. Cool. For... for- Folks who are maybe less familiar with what that means, can you maybe try to describe what that would entail, what that might look like? Sure, sure. So the neo-traditional Americana is kind of like, kind of like Sailor Jerry or like, you know, those old school kind of really bold, um, like three color tattoos. Um, and uh, like the neo part of it is just taking it to the next level of most, most tattooers now can draw a lot better than whoever was doing those tattoos back in like the fifties, sixties. So you can't help but draw them a little bit better than those ones were drawn. So you keep them simple, um, in design and just like you try not to throw a million colors into them and you can achieve that look. And, um, the neo-traditional Japanese stuff, you know, sleeves, black pieces, all that, where you have the same subject matter. Obviously, I'm not Japanese, so I take, like, my influences and the things that, um, like, my drawing style and uh, what have you and kind of apply it to that style and try to stay as respectful and as true to the source material as possible, but also without copying or stealing anyone's, uh, you know, innovations. Right. Is there, um, so of the pieces that you have done and not done yet in the realm of, of horror tattoos, is there a piece that has been, and I know that you and I have, have talked about this offline about really wanting to do the cover of Nightmare on Elm Street. Is there a piece that has stuck with you so badly that you would love the opportunity to do on someone? I mean, yeah, like that one, most, most of like the, the, covers of the 1980s 1970s horror you know movies there's so many good ones but the nightmare on elm street one really stands out the problem with that is it's very detailed it would have to be done at a pretty large scale and doing it in color so here's the thing um you have black and gray which is just black ink watered down with distilled water so you get the different tones I like doing portraits in that style better because I feel that they hold up better over the years. Whereas if you do a color portrait, there's a lot of uh, like pastel tones you have to use, flesh tones, lighter blues, purples, things like that. And they don't tend to hold up that well after you see a couple summers of sun, even if you're like a cellar dweller like me, you know, enemy of the sun. Um, So yeah, that one would be tough, but I'm definitely up to the challenge and I think it would make a really cool tattoo. You have some horror tattoos, don't you, Dalen? Oh yeah. I mean, I have a Michael Myers one, and I did I know that? Did I ever see it? 
Uh, it's on the back of my my thigh, and then um, actually Corey is working on a full horror sleeve at the moment. So I'm I'm doing an entire horror sleeve. So I have a, a Freddy glove on me, um, and like a mishmash of different horror pieces. I'm just letting Corey have fun. So um, I don't really have. I'm trying not to give too much guidance because historically I am too detailed, and <laughs> I can definitely overwhelm. Uh, someone with my my thoughts. <laughs> you know what you have to make sure you add to your horror sleeve? Hmm. Tiny. That's true. Actually, but, yeah, I do need to get that. Yeah, the villain of our upcoming Halloween candy movie. We should get matching ones. Nice. Let's do it, guys. Yeah. Ooh, who, me? Yeah. Uh, I have no tattoos right now. But you know what? <laughs> if I was going to get a first, tiny would make the most sense. We could definitely get matching ones, Doug. I'd be down. I don't know if um you could take my screaming. <laughs> I might scare away your your clientele. <laughs> it's okay. I'll I'll use the uh, the gag ball. That'd be good. <laughs> Is that a thing? No. no. <laughs> Although my friend used to have one hanging from his his lamp, just as like a, like a fun little thing to put up there, and you you know people would be like. Are you serious? Yeah. Like, no, no. That's just hysterical. <laughs> See, I have, I, I, the only thing I know of tattooing is from Ink Master. I used to love that show. So you could tell me that a gag ball was a thing and I would believe it. I'd go to get my tattoo. Hey, do you guys have a gag ball? <laughs> They'll laugh me out of the shop. Yeah, actually. Or they might be like, no, this is not the shop for you. <laughs> So, Corey, I know that you're also into music. You've done, uh, you have your own band, Midnight Minutes, and I did find a little bit of an old video of you singing um, David Bowie's Magic Dance from Labyrinth. Um, yeah. So I'd love to, you know, kind of explore that a little bit. And how do you think that also scores and soundtracks have attributed to some of your artwork? Um, I, I would say greatly. Uh, a lot of a lot of the scores and soundtracks from horror movies, in particular, have just such such character to them, such depth. Take example, you know, Hellraiser two. It's got such such like a it has like an orchestral, really big and deep sound. A lot going on there, and it just kind of conjures up imagery. Whether it's just memories of different scenes from that, it, it kind of feels like you're glimpsing into another realm. And yeah, listening to that, that kind of stuff while you're drawing, it can really help you just kind of just get lost in it. And especially when it's, you know, scores and soundtracks, they don't have vocals generally. And that stuff can be kind of distracting uh, when you're trying to like just get lost in what you're doing, I find. So yeah, like I was listening to the uh, the Maniac score the other day, which isn't a horror show, and I know we were talking about that in the shop the other day, Dalen. But uh, yeah, it just it really helps me kind of just like not be in the room I'm in and just be in the project I'm in. So the music you listen to while you tattoo, it's not specific to what you're drawing. You just whatever's making you comfortable. Yeah, yeah, stuff that I I listen to, like if I'm drawing at home, can very wildly from things I have going on at the shop at the shop. I try to keep it middle of the road as far as nothing too heavy and fast and crazy, nothing too filthy lyrically. Cause you never know. It might be like some, um, like a middle-aged mom getting tattooed and you know, old dirty bastard, right. certain shit like that. It's just too much, you know? 
um, you know, I want everyone to feel comfortable, but when I'm drawing at home, I definitely, I veer off into super weird alleyways, whether it's Mr. Bungle or, um, like I found a, a playlist of all the goblin soundtrack music recently that I was listening to and just, yeah, going down that rabbit hole. Have you ever seen them live? Like I saw them actually live do the Suspiria soundtrack and it was one of the best shows I think I had ever seen. It was incredible. So I didn't see Mr. Bungle, but I saw Fantomas, oh, Fantomas, yeah. however they pronounce it. Mm-hmm. And they definitely did a bunch of stuff off the director's cut. I, I don't think they did that, but they definitely did Rosemary's Baby and they did Spiders. And it was so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. That's so cool. So it's interesting that you mentioned that Hellbound was the first horror movie that you watched, because that kind of leads us to today's topic, which is horror movie remakes. Did you watch the remake of Hellraiser? I did, yeah. What are your thoughts? So there was some things I, I really liked about it. I won't even say there was some things I really disliked about it. Um, I feel like the pacing in the first half was very slow, but the things I liked, I really liked the design, uh, the reimagining of the Cenobites. They looked super cool, super gnarly, scary. Uh, I think Jamie Clayton did a good job as, I don't think they're calling that one Pinhead anymore, but the main Cenobite, I guess. Um I really liked the effects that were used to kind of show them entering from the hell dimension. It was really imaginative, uh, different. And like, it really like drove the point home of here comes these other, like other world, other dimensional beings showing up with, without too much like explanation. Like you kind of knew what was happening as it was happening. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was definitely a bit too long and, and just with remakes in general, I'm like, okay, like, you don't really need to remake movies that I feel like are great and have a following, but I understand that it's also, you know, when things have a following and a built-in audience, it's like, all right, like, you have a built-in audience, so you're going you're gonna to try to get people to watch this, get new subscriptions for Hulu, make some money. But yeah, that one, um, that one I, I didn't hate. I like that one too. I mean, I liked it, but I, I totally agree. I felt like it was just too long and the human aspect of it where she's recovering um, from drugs and stuff. Actually, that's where I wish that had been just a bit fleshed out more. It felt so quick and short and almost like that whole storyline was stunted. It just felt like why even have such a heavy personal storyline in it if you're not going to follow through with it and give so much attention to the Cenobites and this other world and all the things that go with it. But I I overall, I think that it is certainly better than some of the other Hellraiser films in the franchise. Yeah, absolutely. And um, when you bring up the, the drug addiction aspect, that was something I thought was used very well in the Evil Dead remake from what was that 2016 yeah. 2014 that I thought was really good and, and you know having been I'm a recovered drug addict myself like going through withdrawal from opiates sucks so bad so um having to deal with like monsters and demons and things on top of that it, it's like yeah that's that's like a great a great element to add for sure Doug you've seen you do I forget did you like the Evil Dead remake yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that the drug portion of it, because I thought that was a very interesting way of describing why she's seeing all these strange, strange things and why her friends don't believe her. You know, it's actually very mm-hmm. clever. I'm surprised we hadn't seen it before. 
Yeah, you know, it's they made it its own, but it's it's hard to take something that's like a a horror gem or something that's beloved and and redo it because people have a higher standard and people are going to be more critical. But I so they made it its own. I guess a long way of saying they made it their own movie. They didn't try to redo what was done already. And although technically it was not a remake because Ash was in the end, so technically oh it was part God. four. There we go. There we go. And also, I would also argue that Evil Dead 2 is the original remake of yeah. Evil Dead, just done with like a better budget or bigger budget and everything. I love Evil Dead 2 so much. It's so You know great. what? Sorry. I was going to say, when you, one of my first episodes with you on the podcast, I had mentioned how much I love the remake. And I have to tell you that my partner after, when he listened to the podcast, he was like, I'm so disappointed. You know that that's not really a remake. And I was like, I know, but I forgot the moment. He was like, but you know, Ash was in there. That constitutes is not a remake. And I was like, all right, let's chill out. Let's calm down. No, that's a good point. <laughs> I saw that uh, twice and I totally forgot about that. And also Evil Dead 2. That's another um, like VHS cover that I remember. It's like the skull face with the the eyes, you know, you know, super close up. Awesome. I've seen that tattooed quite a few times. Very well yeah. too. So the reason why they had to um, part two was kind of remake a part one is because they lost the rights to the footage of part one. From what I from what I hear, and so they actually had to mm. reshoot the footage to tell the backstory. So that's why it kind of comes off as a remake because they didn't have the rights to it. With the first movie. Wow. Yeah. I'm curious on everyone's thoughts on Army of Darkness. Um, so I saw in the theater, I don't know what, what year was that? Like 94? 92, I think it was. 92. So yeah, so I was 11. I was like, this is so great. I love this so much. And I, it's still, there's a place in my heart for it. It's like so, so campy. Yeah. And I could see how someone viewing it for the first time would not be into it now. But um, yeah, that'll always have a special place for me. And Doug, are you? Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's funny. I've used that movie three different times. Like growing up, my friends that didn't watch horror movies, I was like, oh, I have a really good comedy. Like, did you like Monty <laughs> Python? You're going to love this one. And it was Army of Darkness. So that was my, my gateway to my way of watching a horror movie with people that didn't want to watch it. That was my go to. So I liked it. Nice. It was fun. I like it too. So I'm not asking um, because I dislike it. I, I happen to to love that film as well. However, also, I think as I've gotten older, I find it to also be, I know I'm going to get hate for this, but it's a bit long. Probably some of it could maybe be a little bit cut out. But that said, mm. I'm, I'm so glad that it exists because it is hilarious and very well done. I'm curious. You saw the yeah. original ending with the, the post-apocalyptic when Ash takes too many drops and he wakes up. Did you ever see that? I don't know if I've seen that. That was in the theatrical, right? No, it's on. It was like the European cut, but it's on. Like if you buy the Blu-ray, it's on there or the DVD. But they had shot a scene when Ash doesn't wake up. He takes too many drops and he wakes up and like the world's over. So I'm curious if they were intending to continue or if that was just kind of a fun way of ending it. I wonder if they had a mm. part four planned back then, but maybe the movie didn't make as much money, so they they didn't do it. I'm not sure. But it's kind of fun to take out. It's probably up on YouTube. Yeah, Sam, Sam Raimi. It's a it's a real fine line with Sam Raimi for me. Like I I enjoyed uh, Drag Me to Hell because it's so over the top and ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, a lot of the things he does, like his camp, is not my favorite. You know, it'll just be like a little bit. I, I don't know, just not my speed. Uh, the Spider Man movies he did, I really didn't enjoy. No, no. 
Wait, as much none? as people do. What? I, I didn't hate them. It's just they're like beloved. Like people people lose their minds over those. Like when he was I heard he was doing uh Doctor Strange Mom. I'm just like, oh wait, that was him that did that, right? Yeah, did I Doctor- love Yeah, yeah. I mean he did it was like an ode it felt like such an ode to Evil Dead during you know that the the sequel. Like I, I I loved that whole part of Doctor Strange. I was like, this is awesome. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like, all right, dude. Like, this has nothing to do with Ash. This has nothing, like, you don't need the car to be in it. But then also, it's like, that's kind of awesome that he included. You know, like, Bruce Campbell should get every every role possible. That would be great. I would have liked to have seen there was to be a rumored, uh, you know, multiverse version of Doctor Strange, Bruce Campbell, which would have been awesome. Like, missed opportunity big time. But, you know, that's just my opinion. Yeah. I know. So what are some other horror remakes that you like? So some other horror remakes that I like, um, the thing, absolutely. The, you know, the Kurt Russell one, uh, John Carpenter, that was awesome. Um, Dawn of the dead. So Dawn of the dead, the original, the Romero one is like one of my absolute favorites from my high school era. It's one of my favorite zombie movies. And just Romero is the dude. So when I saw a trailer that Dawn of the Dead was getting a remake back whenever that was, 2004, I was like disgusted and so mad. I'm like, zombies don't run. This is sacrilege. This sucks. What is wrong with people? They'll do anything. And then a couple of years later, I saw it and I'm like, this is pretty great. You know, like the running zombies definitely add a whole a whole new element of horror to it, and like being scary. Um, yeah, so that I ended up enjoying uh, quite a bit that evil dead remake. I really liked, um, I'd I'd have to on Halloween ends, Corey. That's all we want to know. I do have a strong opinion, such a strong opinion that I didn't watch it. I'm just (laughs) like, I can't, I can't like, what are we doing? Dude, like stop remaking movies that are great. Like I was on board for the Rob zombie ones. Cause it's like, all right, like I'm not the biggest Rob zombie fan. Some of the things he's done, I'm like, you know, I like Devil's Rejects. I liked House of a Thousand Corpses. I hated because it's like, oh, cool. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We've seen this already, man. Like, what are you doing? But, um, you know, with Halloween, it's like, OK, he like added a little a little background uh, backstory in there for Mike Myers. Like, love it or hate it. And um, I like the brutality of he's not just like hiding behind bushes for hours it's not the seventies. You need different pacing. I feel like to really catch people's attention. So I liked just how brutal, like he just like walks up and just starts stabbing people, you know, going through the door. Like, yeah, that, that I thought was cool. But, um, I don't remember liking the Halloween two remake quite as much. I saw that in the theater and I just remember being kind of weirded out by it and not seeing it again. Yeah. Are there any other remakes that you feel strongly that you wish that they had just never been made? I mean, yeah, there's gotta be, (laughs) I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of what off the top of my head. Okay. So one that I'll talk about that, like, I feel strongly about in multiple ways. So the it remake, I understand why you would want to remake that because the original was like a a made for TV movie and not good. Like Tim Curry is really the thing that makes it good. Tim Curry's great. And like, you know, being a kid, seeing that it's like horrifying. But when you watch it as an adult, you really, really notice the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you killed George, you bastard. <laughs> you know. Um, so, like, I liked seeing. I like the 
the part one of the remakes better. Part two kind of felt like you were watching video game cutscenes for a lot of it. I didn't like the design of Pennywise, but that's an example of a movie where it's like, okay, I can see why you would remake this. You got a budget, you can do it R-rated, you can like really go over the top with it, especially when you're remaking, you know, it's an adaptation of a well-known book, it's Stephen King. Um, yeah, and I feel like a lot of Stephen King adaptations are not my favorite, but um, yeah, I thought that one was handled pretty well. I find that there's different reasons for horror movies to be remade. I feel like back in the day, you know, a lot of people, sadly, and this isn't me, but I know a lot of people will not watch a black and white movie. So a lot of movies were just kind of updated for today's audience, like a 13 Ghosts, you know, the William Castle mm-hmm. original. And then, you know, they remade it in 2001. And a lot of movies like that, they just wanted it's it's a story that exists, but no one's going to watch the old version, sadly. So they bring out a new one. And, you know, mm-hmm. the other movies, they got a bigger budget and they wanted to do it again, you know, with with mm-hmm. modern technology, kind of like I know, like the blob, the 88 version, you know, they had newer technology. They wanted to update it for newer yeah. audience. But I find that nowadays, because budgets and movies have gotten so high, like 50 million dollars is considered low budget that yeah, yeah, right now I think a lot of movies are remade because you have an audience already and studios may be less likely to gamble on, you know, an unproven property. So they go to the tried and true like Halloween 2007, you know, I think until last year was finally broken, but it had the record for biggest Labor Day opening, which and it stood for about 15 years. So I think that's become a common trend is, you know, in the last probably 20 years, is remaking things because you have a proven audience and it takes less for the studios to have to spend on marketing. I also read something recently that that was explaining kind of the rise in remakes as well, saying that nostalgia it has become so trendy. And so people are, at least according to studios, that people are more willing to see something that they've already kind of seen. They kind of know generally speaking, what to expect as opposed to seeing something totally new that requires a lot more focus. So, I mean, I I think like the three of us are very much, we want to see new content. And I think honestly, that's a little bit particular to horror fans as well. We are always looking for the next real horror film. We watch ones that we've seen multiple times purely as comfort viewing, but we're always on the search and hunt for something new. Whereas other genres are not necessarily really like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Some of the movies that were kind of like mysteries, they're harder to watch like the nightmare in Elm street, you know, like when it's a mystery and the kids are trying to figure out who is this guy. And you're just like, come on, we all know who he is. So, but they, I guess they weren't really made for us though. You know, they were probably made for the, the newer generation, but it's it's harder to watch some of those when it's a mystery that you know what the, the answer is. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, um, I don't know if I if I like the the idea of a reboot or a remake better than like the 30 years later prequel or sequel trend that's been yeah. going on. Uh, oh, another great remake, The Fly. Yeah. That's yeah. Remake, right. The Jeff that's Goldberg. Goldberg. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Like, like. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. The dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Like Ghostbusters or Beetlejuice 
which the title of that is Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. It's like, okay, so it's going to be a trilogy also. It's like, does it need to be a trilogy? Like Beetlejuice is so good. It's so great. It stands alone. But then, you know, it, like you said, Doug, like there's, you know, there's a built-in audience. There's money to be made. It's way less of a advertising uh, chance to take. So I get that, you know, businesses are trying to make money. So, yeah. What drives me nuts Crazy. is the remake that is not a remake. Like you have 2018's Halloween. You would assume it's a remake because it's just called Halloween, but it's not. It's mm-hmm. like part 11, you know, or you have um, Scream 5. They just call it Scream. Mm. It's confusing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, for is. someone that likes to line my DVDs up on my shelf, kind of drives me a little crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, it's true, though. Yeah. What are some of the worst remakes that you've seen? Some of the worst remakes. Damn, I was trying not to write down things of negativity. Um, let me think about this for a second here. And Dale, if you have any examples to throw out, feel free. I mean, I'll throw out <laughs> not a remake, but a sequel is Jaws 2. <laughs> oh, oh, our super yeah. fan here. Jaws 2. <laughs> <laughs> Your um, there's a lot of them that are just like confusing why they exist. Yeah. Like I love cabin fever. It's a great movie. Mm-hmm. But then within 10 years, they put out a remake of cabin fever with pretty much the same script. Mm. And I was confused why it existed because the other one, if you watch the 2002 version, it looks like it could come out today, you know? So like yeah. there were, there was no leap in technology. There was nothing that they couldn't have done in the 2002 version. It's like Eli Roth wanted to give someone else an opportunity, but I was kind of confused why that movie existed. You know? I mean, I feel that way though, a lot with Eli Roth films, like even I totally understand the hold that hostile had on people. It, I personally thought it was okay. Um, I did not think it was this absolutely amazing. I hate wording it like this. I didn't even, I know that it was like a violent, hyper violent, gory film, but I think compared to maybe the things that I watch, I was like, Oh, this is kind of easy viewing, (laughs) but I don't think a film like that required a whole franchise. You know, I think one and done nature, this is where you just don't need sequels that also, you know, like when I know that we're talking about remakes and reboots, but just going into that level of then gearing up for sequels. Like I look at how many Saw films there are. I just feel like, why, why do we need that many? But then on the flip side, like, I'm so glad that there are so many Freddy and Jason films, like Jason Takes Manhattan, Jason X. I've already talked about it's, I love that film so much. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Nightmare on Elm Street remake, like that one's awful. Yeah. What are you doing? You know, like Jackie Earl Haley, I feel like if someone's you're going to cast someone to be Freddie at that point in time, like that was a great ch- choice of actor, I guess. But like, yeah, very forgettable. And just like, like it didn't add anything. It just kind of was like a half hearted remake, not a reimagining. It's just such a good concept. Like you can't really you can't really do it better than it was done. Yeah. And then another style of remake that's, I can understand why these would exist. You have the foreign films that are remade for an English audience. Like you have The Grudge and The Ring and even like REC, which yep. is Quarantine. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm guilty. I have a hard time watching a film of subtitles. 
I just do. Mm. You know, I'm a visual person. I feel like when I'm reading, I'm, I'm missing so much on the screen. So I had a hard time. I had a, a buddy that was like, you got to watch REC. And I did. And I liked it. But I also like quarantine. If I had to choose the two, I'd probably pick quarantine because I can use all my senses and not just read. And I, you know, I'm missing the picture on the screen. So I understand why those exist. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen quarantine. I, I saw the original the REC. I really enjoyed that. But uh, now I'm going to go back and watch quarantine just to see. Uh, just I happen. I, I, I love both. I've watched both multiple times. I love foreign films. That said, I am a bit more partial to quarantine as well. There's something about the ending that I find is a bit more unsettling compared to the original REC, which also I thought we, I thought it was pronounced rec. So like for recording, mm-hmm. um, you could be right. I could be wrong, but either way. Um, but I love both that said, it's a bit frustrating to me, like hearing you say things like that, Doug, and also Corey, I think as someone who really loves foreign films, Sometimes I do get frustrated when a film is done almost to the T for the American audience. That's it. when you explained it mm. like you did, then I do understand it, but they always feel like such a cash grab. They don't feel like they're always using like big stars that aren't necessarily great in the film. You know, like even I think about like dark water and stuff like that, like it's okay. It could have been better. So, you know, and the grudge too, I think the American one is, is pretty good, but when you compare to the original, the original feels so much more sinister than the American one. Mm. So things like that kind of bugged me, but I, I get it. Would, uh, would you guys consider the movie old boy, a horror movie? Thriller. Thriller. Okay. Okay. So it doesn't really apply, but yeah, the remake no, to that was still kind of involved. I feel like thrillers can lean into horror. I won't watch the, the American one. No, I don't, love- don't. It's, it's, yeah, it's insane to me. <laughs> it's yeah. atrocious. Yeah. So I know the word remake does enlist like emotions in people and generally negative for a lot of people. As soon as they hear remake, it's like, ah, but that's not always the case. What are some remakes that you feel improved on the original? If there's any. Mm, yeah, see, that's that's a tough one. because So like the thing, the John Carpenter thing, I think that improved, you know, like really good... Um, like visual effects or practical effects and just like, I feel like that movie like kind of set the stage for a lot of body horror in general. So I think that was good. I think the, the fly remake improved upon it, like the visuals and just like the disgusting. Also, I guess it's funny. I'm picking both like body horror ish uh, (laughs) remakes, but yeah, yeah. Those, those, I know we already talked about those, but I would definitely, um, I'd put those up there for sure. Um, I kind of appreciate, I think Nosferatu is still one of the all-time scariest, creepiest, amazing horror films. That said, I do want to give an honorary nod to Interview with the Vampire. Even, I mean, it's it's not quite a remake. It's like a retelling of it, if you will. But I think that one is, is so well done. I feel like it, it's undervalued, really. I don't know. Maybe I'm Maybe I'm stretching. Well, also, uh, speaking of Nosferatu, we got the Robert Eggers one coming out, I think, this year. So I'm really curious to see what he does with that. I'm generally a fan of uh, of his of his uh, films. But um, OK, so a remake, I think I think I would say it was improved upon uh, The Hills Have Eyes. Yes. Yes. 
by mm -hmm. far is better than the original. I, I mean, the original is great, but the, yeah. that, oh, I love that one so much. But yeah, Wes Craven. So like he, a lot of his stuff has been remade. You know, you got Nightmare on Elm Street. You got The Hills Have Eyes. Um, was there another one? Oh, Last, Last House on the Left. That was remade too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I find a lot Crazy. of them, especially like Last House on the Left, I find a lot of them, they lose a lot of the nuance that the originals had. Like in the 70s when, you know, the parents, when they get revenge for their daughter dying, you find out that like they're just they're monsters just like the killers, you know, and there's some of the nuances lost in the like in the remake. It ends with them. They put the guy's head in the microwave and it becomes just like a fun kill versus like the more visceral imagery of the original. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times the remakes do they lose some of that nuance. Yeah, and like, I only watched it once when it came out, and I, I've been meaning, I kind of wanted to try to rewatch it before we had this this pod conversation. I feel like the Suspiria remake was done very well, too, but um, it's like such a different take. Is it pronounced Giallo? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, so like, that's a whole vibe unto itself, and like, Argento is great but um, i feel like are amazing I'll, but they're very yeah. different and unique like that entire niche genre not niche but genre if you will like subgenre of horror is really yeah sure on its own yeah so that's the thing I, like maybe i won't say it was improved upon but i really i enjoyed it i got to give it another watch but i enjoyed it and yeah just that whole that whole like like the lucio fulci stuff is great um doug have you seen Gates of Hell, a.k.a. City of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah, okay. I, yeah, I know the American title of it. So, yeah, I've seen that one. Okay, is the American title Gates of Hell? No, I saw it as City of the that? Living Dead is what I saw it is, Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, because I'm always confused. I, I can't remember what the VHS we had in high school was, but, um, yeah, that was a great find back in, uh, back in high school. My friend DJ and I would just try to acquire, like, whatever horror VHSs we could, and especially, you know, Italian or just not the the average so like that blood sucking freaks cannibal holocaust um and yeah in high school like you know in the 90s those were some yeah. serious finds <laughs> another trouble i find with a lot of the remakes especially of the stuff from the 70s is and it's just because technology and the cameras are a little are a little cleaner looking like they look a little too polished mm -hmm. you know in my opinion like texas chainsaw massacre Mm -hmm. it was very gritty it almost as if it was you're watching a documentary the original mm -hmm. you know the 16 yeah. millimeter yeah. and then when it comes to the new one it's just kind of a little too glossy too polished that looks like okay this is a hollywood version totally agreed and even thinking of like poltergeist how they remade that too and the original is also there's it doesn't have that like grittiness quality to it but when you compare it to the remake of it it's just the remake doesn't look, it just doesn't have that same vibe. There's something so special about the original. Mm. Yeah. 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 And, um, and yeah, so back to the Dawn of the Dead remake, we got to see, I think it was AMC or one, one of the, the theater chains was playing Dawn of the Dead last October or the, yeah, last October we went and saw it in the theater and, um, it had been a while since I saw it. I've never seen it in the theater. And it was such a different experience than I was ready for. Like the amount of laughter, like, <laughs> like she's just like, 
the, the you know the scene where she's like i'm pregnant but like she's just been pounding wine and smoking cigs the whole time and then continues to do so you're <laughs> just like this is insane so um yeah it's just crazy how that like continues to uh change for me over the years but um but yeah the I'd say the Dawn of the Dead remake, there was definitely some things that were improved upon with that as far as adding adding an element of, of realism. Like, okay, like if this actually happened and this happened in today's today's modern age, like I like that they really go into how they're defending the mall and how they're kind of closing it off and that whole aspect of it. So yeah, I'd say parts of that there were some improvements. And I don't want to speak ill of George Romero because that's like one of my dudes right there. But, um, you know. Walks like a duck, yeah, quacks definitely. like a duck. <laughs> <laughs> cool. One remake that maybe we'll, we'll leave alone for today is uh, Black Christmas. I, I was thinking of it. I was thinking of, of mentioning that, but then I was like, ah, it's too soon. <laughs> our most heated episode ever. Yeah. If you want to hear our thoughts <laughs> on Black Christmas, go back a couple months. Corey, have you seen the, the two remakes? Oh, no. Here we go. No, I'm just curious. No, you you told me you told me about them, um, and I listened to the pod, but like I don't know Black Christmas like that, so it's kind of lost on me, and I'm ashamed no, to admit these things right now. <laughs> Plug for a former Scarecrow for podcast guest, Armando Munoz is writing the novel for uh, Black Christmas. Nice. Yeah, he did um Silent Night, Deadly Night this past year, and he's doing Black Christmas for this year, so. Shout out to Armando and your fine work. He's also yeah. working on the comic and the game, right? It's also it's like a lot of stuff. Yeah, they do. Him and Anthony, they I think they have um, games for a lot of these horror movies, yeah. like board games, and they have these little hex decks. Mm-hmm. So pretty cool stuff. Excellent. Like like you mentioned earlier, it's nostalgia really cool. is a hell of a drug. Yeah, and I I can't get enough of it. Yeah, as you, <laughs> as, you know, no one at home can see, but as you can see behind me, mm-hmm. I have like. Yeah. I'll, maybe, mm-hmm. I'll post a picture to Instagram. I'll do a little video for Instagram yeah. of my horror collection here. Yeah, I need to really decorate this room a bit more. Sad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like I just live in like a serial killer no. warehouse from uh, what you guys can see. <laughs> <laughs> just some empty room. <laughs> so any more thoughts on horror remakes before we move on? No, I think I think that's a good place to to call it for now until round two. I agree. Yeah, there, we could actually fill several episodes with horror with me because there's been a lot. Of course, you know, yeah. For good, for good, and for bad. The good, the yeah. bad, and the ugly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Dalen, you've been waiting for this moment your whole life. <laughs> Why don't you take us to the next segment of our show? So the next segment is a drum roll. That's my drum roll sound. 13 questions with Corey Schoolage. So to set the tone, first question, what is your favorite Halloween candy? I'd have to say my favorite Halloween candy is the fun size bags of Sour Patch Kids. Hell yeah. Good choice. Yeah, yeah. I, I almost want to say Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, but on Halloween, you never get the full size. You only get the mini ones, and the chocolate to peanut butter ratio is skewed, and I'm, I don't enjoy those as much. They're not bad, but yeah. so yeah, Sour Patch is my jump off. I could just eat those until the roof of my mouth is bloody. They're so good. <laughs> Number two, who is an artist that you wish more people knew about? 
uh, H.R. Giger. Interesting. Do you, I guess, right. I guess because so many like people know him, but a, a lot of normal people don't even not know. Him. Yeah. You'd be surprised how many people I, I mention or reference. And, uh, I gotta be like the guy that designed aliens from the movie alien. And like, people just don't know. He had such a profound effect on me and a lot of other artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like he, he coined the term biomechanical, like, and he was like just an awesome freak. So yeah, H.R. Giger, Hans Rudy Giger. Who is an artist that you think is wildly overrated? Andy Warhol. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Absolutely, for sure. Yeah. And like, it's one of those things where um, I respect what he did. Like he, you know, the whole pop art. The whole, um, he called it like everyone's going to have five minutes of fame. And I respect a lot about what he did, but I would say wildly overrated. Yes. What is a horror film that you think visually speaking only is the best or the most inspirational? Damn, that's a hard one. Why you got to throw hard ones at me, Jalen? Coming out strong on this one, your Mm. first time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, visually, I would have to go, uh, yeah, I'll take it back to Hellraiser. Like the Cenobites, the outfits, that Clive Barker BDSM inspiration. Um, very, very strong. Yeah. All right. What is your favorite horror movie? Mm, damn. Favorite horror movie. Does such a thing exist? I mean, if I had to choose one thing... Damn you. Um, <laughs> I'm just here with the tough ones. Maybe, maybe I'm just going to go basic nightmare on Elm street. Okay. I, I, it's so hard for me. You know me, I don't really have favorites of things, but I'm trying to not play into my neurosis, yeah. but yeah, that's a great one. No wrong and, answers. We're not going to tie you to it. You know, you can always thank you tomorrow, um, but good answer. There's so many good things. It's so hard. What would you say is your favorite horror soundtrack? Favorite horror soundtrack, also very tough. Um, I would have to say, um, hmm. I know that's a tough tough one. one. I know that's a tough one. It would that one would trip me up too. I mean, okay, no, it's actually not that tough. I'm just going to go with Halloween. Like, Halloween is so influential. It's so catchy. It's great. I could go on and on about Rosemary's Baby and all the Tangerine Dream, the Goblin, all that stuff. But, you know, if you play um, if you play the Halloween theme, people know it, and it's creepy still this many years later. Cool. If you could contribute music for any horror franchise, which franchise would it be? maybe Hellraiser if they were to, uh, if I could go back in time or something, but then that's implying that I could do it better than it was done already, which I don't think I could. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's a tough question, you know, cause you, ah, oh, man, damn, you're really, you're really swinging with the fire here, Dalen. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe, um, maybe, uh, okay. My official answer will be for, um, Another, if there was another Romero remake, that would be a thing I'd feel very good about. Yeah, zombie, zombie stuff. I really, really dig zombie stuff. Living Dead. Another Diary of the Dead. 
Diary of a Dead Part Two. That was was a wild ride. (laughs) Yes. Who would you say is your favorite horror director? Damn, that's another one. It's so tough. Um, I would probably say I'd probably have to go to Wes Craven, but it's really tough because, I mean, he did Nightmare on Elm Street, which expands on, I guess you could kind of call that slasher, but it has a psychedelic vibe. He did People Under the Stairs, super weird. He did Scream, which kind of reinvented or like created a new horror, like self-referential um feeling and then new nightmare like it wasn't a remake but it was a super interesting sequel that kind of felt like a remake i'm gonna go with wes craven i guess it's it's another impossible decision to make but yeah excellent choice and we're already over halfway done so we're, we're we're tanking on um if you could mash up any horror franchise with any non horror franchise what would you want to see made on film probably (laughs) i would probably go with i see the wheels turning let's just get weird just get it out yeah so i I was i had something i thought we might go down this road and i had something in my head but now i'm kind of like damn that's not uh maybe like interview with a vampire meets some kind of spacefaring like star trek vampires in space i think would be cool i love it amazing <laughs> can i interject an answer yes i don't mean to yes. break the rules but Please. it's, it's yeah, a fun yeah. question i think it'd be fun to have meet the parents with mark Wahlberg from fear <laughs> what a fun crossover <laughs> imagine good. jack burns you know trying to investigate this this creep oh Amazing. Good (laughs) answers, guys. I might want to, I'm going to, I know I answered this a long time ago, but I've been thinking about it and I might want to do a mashup between the Snorks and Krampus. I don't know why. Okay. Genre bending. It's great. Genre bending. We're we're going there. We're just getting full on strange. Um, All right. (laughs) So when you look back at the tattoos that you've done, are there any that you wish you could do over? And if so, is there one that sticks out in particular? Hmm. Not that you have, that you have done on someone. That I've done, right, right. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I got to do a lot of really cool ones in my first, like, five years. Um, Trying to think of one that stands out. I'm like, there's so many. (laughs) Um, Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I got to do a dragon back piece on this guy before I properly knew how to draw dragons or do back pieces. And I think about that before I properly knew. Um, and I could, yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to say that that dragon back piece on a guy who I think was named Mike years and years ago. I'm, yep. It's yeah. a good thing he can't cool. see it because it's on his back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, as a fellow Taurus, what do you think is the best movie watching snack? Ooh, best movie watching snack because it's super small. You can kind of season it. You can make it savory. You can make it sweet. 
Yeah, I don't know if it gets better than pop. Popcorn is great. It's classic. It's tried and true. Delicious. Kettle corn. Yeah, there's many, many varieties. Popcorn. Of these three, who do you think you could take in a fight? Freddy Krueger, a zombie, a fast zombie from Dawn of the Dead, rather, or Pinhead? I mean, I, I probably would go with fast zombie, but the fun answer would be Freddy Krueger. Um, yeah, I would just take all types of sleeping pills and then I would be in his dreams, you know, and him. <laughs> but yeah, fast zombie, I would fast zombie. I would just, you know, fake left, go right, take the legs out and just smash its head apart. Probably. I'm prepared for all eventualities of horror monster. <laughs> <laughs> and Doug, I'm curious, who do you think you could survive? Freddy Krueger, a Dawn of the Dead zombie, or Pinhead? Well, is it Freddy in our world or in the dream world? Because our world, I could probably take him because he really only has the, the knives and if, you know, a couple sidekicks to keep him at bay. <laughs> if it's if it's our world, I could beat mm. Freddy. In his world, no, because almost no one beats Freddy in the dream world. I guess and like, Pinhead doesn't do much fighting, yeah. but, and, you know, those chains, there's not much you can do when he shoots those chains out of the box. Yeah. I guess a zombie, although they 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 probably tougher than they look because you know it doesn't take much. It takes you know their teeth get near you and you're 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 you lost. So, but I guess I guess it would have to be a zombie. Yeah, that's right. the thing. Yeah, Pinhead and Freddy both cheat. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. <laughs> All right, and so for Lucky Thirteen, I know that you've been an extra in films as well in your past. If you could be an extra in any horror film, but a specific film, which film would you want to be an extra in? I would want to be, if I could time travel back to 1978 or 77, whenever they filmed it, to be in the original Dawn of the Dead and be gruesomely torn apart and, you know, have like a close up and all that. Yeah, that would be that would be amazing. Awesome. Actually, Doug, I'm curious also for you, what would you want to be? Hmm, good question. I have extra in a couple low-budget horror movies. Um, you know what? The the one that got away. So in 2003, I was in. I was selected out of the top 25 to be in Halloween 9, which never actually came out. And I flew to L.A. or Anaheim specifically, and it was at the, the Halloween 25th anniversary convention which my buddy Anthony Massey, who was on the show a couple months ago, he was, he was his convention. And I was on stage and Mustafa Akkad picked the, one of the names out of the pumpkin for the top 25 and whoever won would be in Halloween nine. And so you could see on the documentary, my heartbreaking when someone else's oh. name was picked. It's kind of the one that got away. So Bummer. one of the, yeah. so in the Halloween movies, one of them I'd be happy. Right. Yeah. Great answers. Yeah. And also, um, yeah, to be to get sucked into the bed in Nightmare on Elm Street, but that would mean replacing Johnny Depp. And I mean, like, let's face it, come on, you know. <laughs> <That's not happening. laughs> yeah. Well, this has been such a pleasure. Corey, thank you so much for being on the show. Please what tell the people what you've got going on. Where can they find you? Yeah, so you can find me on the old Instagram, either at Corey Schoolage, C-O-R-E-Y-S-C-O-O-L-I-D-G-E. Or you can check out my tattoo shop, Weatherproof Tattoo, and that's 
at weatherproof tattoo t-a-t-t-o-o and yeah i'm just going to be uh making weird tracks at home music paintings tattoos and i'm gonna keep on keeping on guys where is your tattoo we never we never got to that where can they find your brick and mortar tattoo parlor oh yes i am in harriman new york yes um and yeah so you can either message the instagram the shop number also is 845-729- one nine eight nine it's a it's like a private custom studio so you can't really just like find it i don't have a sign or anything like that but i am down to do tattoos of all variety horror non-horror and uh yeah i'm down hit me up make this happen this has been a lot of fun thanks for joining us Corey. thank you so much for having me and Dalen, great job with your first 13 questions as your first duty as co-host of the scarecip horror podcast Thank you, guys. <laughs> and Corey, thank you for your patience with me and for joining us today. This was such a pleasure. And Doug, I always love speaking with you. So thank you for having me on. This is the highlight of my week every week. <laughs> so Dalen, remind people where they can find you on the socials. You can find me on Instagram at ghoul underscore whip, G-H-O-U-L underscore W-H-I-P. And you can find us at scared underscore stiff underscore films. Keep an eye out on the Instagram. Very soon is going to be the first batch of footage from Halloween candy. So keep an eye out. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And tune in next week for another episode of the podcast. Take care, everyone. Bye.